the word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Thank you very much for letting me skip church last week to go sing with Andrea Bocelli. It was a lot of fun, but if I had to choose, I'd still rather be in an opera. Now, I don't know if you've been to an opera, but did you know there's people on the stage who do not sing? In fact, they're called supernumeraries. They fill out the crowd. Uh, my sons have been supernumeraries twice. They were in opera with uh, Luciana Pavarotti when they were about eight and nine. And uh, we actually have a picture of them in their costumes with him, which is pretty cool. And they also got to be in a production of Aida because there's a lot of supernumeraries in Aida because of the triumphal march. The paid choristers get planted on stage and 50, 60 people do the triumphal march. They make a big circle backstage and they just change their props and come out again. Uh, you know that one. It goes on and on and on. Now, it's in their contract that they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to hum. They're not even allowed to mouth the words. They are only allowed to fill out the set and do the actions they've been assigned. Now, who is the world's most famous supernumerary? Joseph. He doesn't have one word to say in the entire biblical narrative. The angel gives him instructions. He doesn't get to talk back like Mary did or like Zachariah did. He gets instructions. And, I, I, and I'm going to talk about the nativity in our service for those who are listening. But we were looking at this this morning. The only person in our nativity further away from the baby Jesus than Joseph is the camel. The wise men are closer, the sheep are closer, the donkey is closer. Joseph has a non-speaking role. And yet, he's the man that God chose for Jesus to call dad. So I, I had to do some thinking about my dad and uh, the things that fathers do. And I, I have to ask you, because I, I know it's true for me, just nod. Do you feel your, hear your dad's voice in your head? So this might be providential. I was headed to lunch with a friend yesterday. He called and he canceled. And it was literally two blocks away from my mother's house. So I, I didn't even call. I just knocked on the door. I said, do you have lunch, mom? She said, no. I said, let's go. She said, okay. So I threw her in the car. Not really. <laughs> I, what do you want? Panzerati, diner. Or she said, I like Chinese. Well, we, we couldn't decide which Chinese restaurant, so I asked her if she'd ever had Vietnamese pho. She said no. I took her out to Vietnamese food for lunch. So my mom, my 80-year-old mom, is picking at the noodles. She said, what's the sermon on tomorrow? So I told her it's about Joseph and his relationship to Jesus. I said, Mom, do you hear Dad's voice in your head? And she said, all the time. Now, you've heard me talk about my dad. He was a very, very opinionated and stern man. He was from the British military. So here's some of the things I hear. Boy, he always called me boy when he wanted me to listen. Boy, he says, you never order fish at a steak restaurant. Okay. Boy, 
The more things, the more function something has, the more opportunities it has to break. Okay? I made a list of them because my mom and I talked about them. I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Now I can't find them. Oh, here we go. Uh, the, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're 15 minutes late. And this one he said all the time, why is there never time to do it right and always time to do it over? Do you think Jesus had Joseph's voice in his head? I have to say yes. Joseph was Jesus' earthly dad. And uh, I don't think we think about that enough, but the man that Jesus became was formed, created by the relationship he had with his earthly parents. And for us, the non-speaking role of Joseph. But you know that as Jesus' dad, he did a lot of speaking, a lot of teaching. Now, what do we know about Joseph? Well, we know that he was a small businessman. He owned a carpentry shop. Now, sometimes that Greek word is translated artisan. We can't guarantee that he was a carpenter. But traditionally, we say he was a carpenter. What skills do you need to run a successful business? Well, you have to know the value of a hard day's work. I had a teenager once who lived on our block. She came over. She was very upset. I said, what's wrong? She said, I got fired from my job. I said, well, I'm surprised it took them this long. She said, what? I said, dear, you never want to go to work. You always call them up and say, do you really need me? And you never want to go in on weekends. You call in sick or you have a reason not to go. She says, yeah. I said, well, they hired you so that you would work. And I'm sorry to say that a lot of us have witnessed that the, the, the generation following us does not have the same work ethic that our parents gave to us. And hear this, that Joseph gave to Jesus. Jesus knew the value of a hard day's work. In fact, we believe that he worked in his father's small business. It might have been even called Joseph and son, right? Until he was 30 years old. I want you to hear this as well. A small businessman knows how to manage his resources. The, uh, the ramp is going to be fixed before Christmas Eve. I don't know if you saw um, Uriah is the carpenter doing that. And he's already dropped off all the wood at back. He, he's managing his resources so he can replace the broken boards and the wobbly boards. And, and uh, they're going to stain it so that it'll last better through the weather. But Jesus managed his resources. He had 12 employees, didn't he? Who changed the world. He learned that from his father. Now, the other thing you have to have in a small business, and this one probably speaks more to me than anything else, is you have to have good customer service. You have to know how to work with the public. Where did Jesus learn that? He learned that from his earthly father. Now, Joseph was also a faithful Jew. How do we know that in the Bible story today? He was seeking God's guidance because he was in a difficult situation. Jewish law actually had three options for Joseph. One was he could have called his wife-to-be, Mary, an adulterer, taken her out to the edge of town and had her stoned. 
And we know that they still stoned people in that day because Paul was stoned several times. He could have said, that's it, I'm done with you, and had her stoned. The second thing he could have done was to publicly remove himself from the relationship. They were betrothed. They were not yet married. And he could have made a public statement in the synagogue or in front of the town fathers and said, you know, Mary's pregnant. It's not mine. I, in essence, divorced myself in this relationship. And he would have shamed her publicly for the rest of her life. But what does it say in Scripture? The third option. He was thinking about putting her away quietly. And that's when the angel comes in. How do we know he's a faithful Jew? He had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. And if you look at a map, Jerusalem is about here and Bethlehem, I'll do it backwards for you. Jerusalem is here and Bethlehem is about here. They had to travel with a new baby and a just having given birth mother. I don't know what the word for that is all the way up to Jerusalem to have him circumcised. He was a faithful Jew. He made the yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We know that because, you remember, they lost Jesus on one of those trips. He knew the law and prayerfully asked guidance from God. And here's probably the most important thing about being a faithful Jew, is he listened to God's instruction. Now that sounds easy. Well, I'll do what God wants, but... Listen to the things that happened because Joseph chose to follow God's instruction. I was just reading a book called Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. And he said that by agreeing to marry Mary, Joseph agreed to live a life of disgrace. For the rest of his life, people either were going to assume that he had slept with Mary before they were married, or he had married a woman who slept with somebody else. There would never be stability in his home from a societal viewpoint. He chose a life of danger. Do you remember what happens? They have the baby, the wise men came, and what does King Herod do? Slaughters all the children. The angel comes and says, you've got to go to Egypt. Take him out of here. He agreed to disgrace. He agreed to danger and a threat of death. Herod wanted to kill the child and probably the family. Of the child. Now, Billy Strayhorn, a preacher that I like to, to read, says it a little bit different. He said that Joseph agreed to live a life of doubt, danger, and difficulty. I don't know why both pastors decided this sermon had to have all D's as their points, but it's the same idea. He would forever, I mean, yes, an angel showed up, but have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit conceiving a child? That's pretty far flung. And for the rest of his life, he's always going to have to ask himself, did I make the right decision? Again, danger was the second point in Billy's dream, and difficulty. I'm not sure what it would be like to raise a perfect child. I am not a perfect man. I make mistakes all the time, and I'm not sure how I would take it if my perfect four- or five-year-old was correcting me. Have you been in a car ride and the kid looks out the window and goes, Dad, I don't think we're going the right way. Like, kid, you, you don't know where we're going, but they still feel the need to correct us. I didn't handle that well. What if the kid corrected me and the kid was actually right? <sighs> if I'm going to make a point today, I want you to hear this. Have you ever considered that Christmas doesn't happen 
until or unless Joseph is obedient to the direction of God. Christmas doesn't happen. There is no birth of Jesus if Joseph does not decide to be obedient. Well, let's take a, a different tack. Well, I already did that part. Let's, that's where, where I was supposed to talk about the things that your dad has planted in your brain. So let's finish with this. Jesus was the man he was because Joseph was his father. Now, the psychologists tell us that a child's personality, their temperament, is in place by the time they're five years old. I want you to think about that. Mary and Joseph imprinted a personality and a temperament on Jesus before he was five years old. Joseph's voice, Joseph's example, Joseph's instruction, and because we light the candle of love today, Joseph's love for that child and love for God helped make Jesus the man that we worship today. I was preaching a funeral a few years ago for a, a friend, <laughs> and uh, the friend referred to the part where you invite people up to speak as the open mic. He said, I, I don't want the open mic at the funeral. I said, why? I love that face. That's the face I made. That's, that's fairly traditional. And he said, no, there are members of the family that will create drama if we open the mic. He said, here's what I want you to say. A father is remembered in the lives of his children. He says, that's what I want to remember. That's what I want people to know, that the life I live, I live because of the father I had. Now take that thought and zip it all the way to the end of John's gospel. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And we all jump right to the Father. But I'd like to add a thought there. If you've seen me, you've seen my father, Joseph. Joseph was the man that God called for Jesus to call Abba, Father. I think it would be true for each of us, that we need to stop and think about the thoughts our Heavenly Father puts in our heads. What does this bring to us at Advent? I want to make three final points, and these are they. If God can use a simple carpenter from Nazareth to raise his son, God can use you. Number two, when we answer the call of God, we must, we should, we can expect Doubt, danger, disgrace, difficulty, and even death. The road that a Christian is called to walk is not an easy road. And if it is an easy road, I'm sorry to say you're probably not doing it right. People are going to be upset and angry and frustrated and concerned when your Christian walk interferes with the lives they think you should be living. And number three, even the non-speaking roles have a place in this heavenly drama. Uh, you've probably heard this quote. It's from Konstantin Stanislavski. He said, there are no small parts, only small actors. But my prayer this morning is this, that each of us listen to the word of God, that we look for the direction of God. We love 
the people of God. And we learn our role in this heavenly drama. Amen.